Okay, hello and welcome to episode 33 of Dano Says So. Um, today is a return guest, actually the third time I'm sitting down with her, but the second time we're airing an episode, who I have been after and bugging and pestering to come back on because of her unique knowledge and her unique expertise. Um, I, both the first time she was on and now, I'm much more comfortable letting her explain that, so I'm just going to dish right to her. But Alexia, uh, thank you for doing this. And uh, why don't you tell them what makes you the smart kid? I am, oh God, <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, I have a background in epidemiology, specifically infectious disease. Um, I got my, actually my undergrad in international relations, graduate degree in um, international community health, focus on international epidemiology um, at NYU, and then worked for about seven years at the um, Washington State Department of Health, um, running CDC HIV TB trials, came back to California um, and worked at um, UCSF, California Department of Health, um, doing, you know, again, various infectious disease epidemiology, hepatitis to HIV. And then now I'm in oncology um, at uh, a biotech. So I kind of switched over out of infectious disease. And the first time we talked, uh, things were largely editorial. I picture today being more informational for very specific reasons. We are now down into the nitty gritty, into the process of getting this country and I guess really the world vaccinated. Um, there's a lot of hesitation that surrounds it. And frankly, there's a lot of ignorance that surrounds it. Before I ask you about that, last time we talked, you and I talked about the potential for vaccines on a much shorter window than is ordinarily the case was possible here. Would you say that's what happened? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So typically, you know, vaccines are approved in a five to 10 year span. Um, and But there were a number of factors as why that didn't happen this time. It wasn't because the science was cut. Um, it wasn't, to, you know, we don't have to worry about our own safety. All of the key things that we do in terms of safety and efficacy, all the way from a first uh, in human phase one, all the way to approval. Now we're in phase four. So up to that phase three, um, all of those safeguards were still created. What we did as a community worldwide um, is actually going to change the fame framework for doing clinical trials in the future because we were able to cut time in places that didn't jeopardize patient safety um, or the science. Um, so I think that's key. Like, uh, and there's just you know, when you work in the in the clinical trial space, there are just these things that we do um, that because that's the system and the way that you do it. But when you're faced with a pandemic like never before, where people are dying, you need to draw your fastest teams together. Everything else is not on, you know, your normal timelines. Things are changed so that we can get the data as fast as possible. Um, and it's not going to take years to uh, enroll patients. I mean, unfortunately slash fortunately, we have a plethora of people to, from which to um, enroll. So we're not waiting years to enroll 3,000 people, you know, 30,000 to 40,000 people, five to 10 years. So that cut a huge thing. And then we sliced, we cut the data. Well, I didn't, but, um, you know, the way that they ran the trials were they got people together at key points who were spending their whole time on this. Um, whereas, you know, when you make something a priority, you can figure out ways uh, to effectively speed things up, 
safely and 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 appropriately and and there was a number of factors of why we were able to do that which has nothing to do with jeopardizing people's safety i mean the 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 regulating bodies would not approve this it, it still has to read out in the data and the science for it to get approved so one of these things i find interesting is that in this country you know johnson johnson as a single shot was just approved right and moderna and pfizer are both out there as two shots i've had the first pfizer shot i go back on the 23rd for the second one as a as a lay person that actually has me scratching my hands would you say that one is to be trusted over the others? I mean, I, I, I grasp it well enough to know that they're all positives and that if you have access to any of them, you should yes. utilize it. Uh, yes. So the very clear message is mm -hmm. whatever vaccine you can have access to, get it. Um, mm -hmm. Johnson & Johnson is not less effective. Moderna is not less effective between the, the, the three. The purpose of the vaccine is to decrease hospitalization and severity of disease. Basically, keep us alive okay. and keep our um, healthcare infrastructure functional, right? So keep people out of the hospital. So, um, so that's what these vaccines do. So what you want to look at um, by comparing, which isn't really truly, truly what you should do, um, they're all effective because if you look at the, of what they're supposed to be doing, which is prevent severe disease, prevent death, they're all across the board at 100% for no hospitalization and no um, severity. So they're, they're all great. Well, can I jump in for a clarification real quick? You and I touched on it a little bit before we started taping. But what they do more or less is prevent effect or severity of effect. But a vaccinated person can carry the virus, yes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so so you can be vaccinated and transmit the disease. You may be asymptomatic. You may have little cold symptoms. You may not even know you're infected. That's, that's going to take years for us to really know about transmissibility once you're vaccinated. The idea is that transmissibility is low. Um, but we don't know, like we need to wait for more data. So you, um, you get the vaccine, you can still get the, you can still get COVID. You'll get less severe disease. It now goes from dying to maybe a little bit of a cold, maybe, maybe a cold with a slight fever. Um, your lungs aren't implicated. Do you know what I mean? Like it changes, it keeps you away from death. So when and their efficacy on that level is overwhelming, correct? Yeah. Yeah, um, and because we it would have shore out in the data. I mean, all, you know, twenty eight, almost twenty million Americans have been vaccinated. No, sorry, I think it's um, it's something like ninety two now. Sorry, that's number of cases, but like ninety two million mil Americans have been vaccinated. Um, if there was issues with the vaccines, we definitely see it by now because that is a huge population number. Um, but also that that. I think the key thing here is if you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID and possibly transmit it. That's where we're waiting for more data. And that's what's scary. Like I have a very specific situation in my family where I'm most likely going to be exposed to my father before I would like to because of a recent emergency in his, his right. situation and needing to make his home habitable so that he can, habitable, blah, 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 so that he can be released from the, the, the medical rehab that he's in right now. And the idea of me running around in his space, even maxed up while I am vaccinated, but he is not terrified. I'm trying to do everything I can to get vaccination for him 
prior to his return home, but that may not be the case. Um, that's a realistic or a logical fear, isn't it? Yeah, and and the new recommendation, exactly. The new <laughs> recommendations, I have the same issue. Uh, the new recommendations from CDC that came out yesterday um, is that you need to be wearing a mask because your dad is unvaccinated and he's uh, in the high risk group. Absolutely. Okay. So don't, so I'm just, the another thing I think is important here is once you're vaccinated, it is one, but one of the tools that we have, we still need to physically distance. We still need mm -hmm. to wear masks, uh, even when we're vaccinated, um, particularly among uh, people in the high risk setting inside, which is you, mm -hmm. um, with your dad, um, but even outside uh, and still don't, you know, don't, um, congregate in medium or large size groups. But if you're all vaccinated and you're inside a home in a smaller setting, that's okay. You don't need to wear masks if all of so you are vaccinated. By what milestones or by what road markers does that eventually not be true? I mean, at what point, I'm not, I'm not asking you for something predictive. I'm asking you for the standards. But I mean, at what point do we really start to experience freedom of movement? So, so we have to, we have to, we have to get a much larger proportion of the population vaccinated, and we need to see that these variants are not actually continuing to spread. So although, you know, cases have gone down in the recent weeks, um, some cases, some areas that it's hot spots are it's spiking, and some, um, and some, in some areas it's plateauing or going back up, right? Um, Rhode, I'm thinking Rhode Island, New Jersey, Missouri in particular in the last couple of weeks. And so, um, with the implications of these different variants, although the vaccines are still very effective among them, we, we assume that they will, they're, they're fine and, and perhaps we need to get a booster or just a vaccine here and there. But at this time for the variants we know of, it seems to be like they're from, from the real world data. That means in the field, not in a Petri dish. Uh, it seems to be that these vaccines are safe. Um, at this time. I know there's a lot of like fear mongering headlines, clickbait stuff, and then people just, it, it, it's something to to track and monitor, but it's not something to be um, thinking that your vaccine isn't gonna work over. But the key is it's, there's, it's plateauing or going up in these certain hotspots. Uh, about 10% of our US population is vaccinated. We need to get to 70%. Um, so we need to increase that as variants are increasing as well. Because hmm. we don't know what new variants around the corner and transmissibility for that UK variant is 50% uh, higher. So, you know, a bit more transmissible. Uh, and so we're just, it's like a race. Well, variants were one of the places, one of the questions I was going to have next. Okay. Is there the potential for new variants to knock us all the way back into the winter bucket, you know? all the way back into sort of the horrible numbers that we saw over Christmas? Or is that, I, I, I mean, I, I learned the first time, it's never fair to try and put you on a crystal ball. So instead I just kind of ask you for a logical take on it. Yeah. You know, um, can these new variants, which I'm hearing all of, seems like every new variant, South Africa, wherever, that they're all being labeled as more transmissible, more easily transmissible. Well then does, does that not place us in danger of losing all of this forward progress? Um, so, uh, yes, temporarily, I would say, I don't, so 
we're making forward progress in vaccinating people. Um, that needs to move at exponential paces. Um, so far, I think we're doing that. Uh, but we have, you know, spring break is coming up and with only 10% of the population vaccinated, there's still vectors out there. Um, we could see increases again, like winter. I mean, mm -hmm. if, you, if you think about the curve, mm -hmm. it hasn't plateaued lower than what was happening in July. So that's why we need to be careful is we're not at zero cases transmitting. It's still in the community. It's like we were in the summer. And when people were indoors, it spiked. And there's still very much an environment for that to happen. Ironically, we're back around similar numbers to when I first interviewed you. And I was terrified then. And now we're celebrating that we're back at those levels. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's all relative. Yeah. I mean, if you think of the pool of, and I'm sorry, I'm just thinking in terms of the US, uh, mm -hmm. but you could apply this globally. Um, you know, other countries haven't even initiated vaccinations yet. Um, so there's still much more opportunity for the virus to continue to spread. We are not out of the woods. We need to like pedal to the metal on vaccines uh, vaccinations, and we need to focus it in the places where case rates are very high. Could, some, could something like a... Uh, not doing that. So okay. I need that loud and clear. That is a problem. Cool. I don't mean cool that it's a problem. I mean no. cool that you enunciate. Uh, <laughs> it's something like, I, I, I know if I were to ask you to editorialize it, I, mean, I know I will see a good hard punk rock patch of your frustration. <laughs> but from a technical standpoint, something like what's going to happen in tomorrow, tomorrow in Texas, dangerous to the nation, nation as a whole. The, the no need. Everything for swings wide in Texas. No mask mandate. Business is 100 yeah. percent open. It's pure insanity. It's pure okay. insanity. The virus doesn't care. Cool. Like the virus doesn't care. You're essentially um, giving death sentences but here's the thing, Dan, that I think people don't understand, and this is where I'm concerned, and this was my point two seconds ago. A virus does not know a boundary. So who cares that Texas stopped with, you know, saying, you know, all businesses are open, you know, there is no virus. Well, the problem is those people travel, and now it becomes a California problem, it becomes a New York problem, it becomes a Europe problem, it becomes a Brazilian problem. That's the problem. Is like one person, one group. If it is not, if this is not standardized across federally, globally, we're all still in trouble. We're and all this, still at risk. So this singular constitutional argument, although state states' rights things, we're back to arguing with Alexander Hamilton. Um, does the, is 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 a federal mandate not a legal possibility? I, I don't know. I'm a lawyer. I'm not, I'm not, I, no, I'm not a yeah. lawyer. Right. Um, I don't know, but God, you know, I feel like they're. That's I'm the impression really I get. really upset about how this pandemic went down and mm -hmm. politically because CDC has lost so much credibility. Mm -hmm. 
And so when they put out guidelines or when we they are saying anything now federally, like Biden has doubled down and it's great and the scientists are leading, but unfortunately we have lost so much credibility that that alone isn't enough. So guidelines aren't enough. So no, you cannot mandate the states and that's the problem. Had we had another um, institution when this came out, perhaps it would be different, but I right. feel like uh, science, public health in particular, has been th that that sort of credibility has been eroded, and 99% of people's time is not just um, talking about the science. It's literally trying to get people to 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 damage control, basically fix the rhetoric. This is a tricky subject for the two middle-aged white kids to hypothesize on. Although I'm older than you, so maybe that's not fair. Um, but I, I know that a lot of the pushback and a lot of the resistance to vaccination comes from communities not like our own. In other words, from groups who have, have been, who have historically, you know, suffered in this sphere and who are understandably not trusting. Yeah. Uh, anything you'd like to say about that? Anything you'd like to acknowledge about that? Because it is is a sad thing, but I don't feel like I'm in a position to poke holes in it. You know? Yeah, and um, and I I don't I don't think we need to poke holes in it. I I completely understand it's a fair and valid response to mm -hmm. some direct impact okay. that uh, you know, science and public health in the past has as has done to communities of color. And um, yeah, I can't speak to. I mean, it's happening today, just medically and scientifically, or I mean, clinically, you know, um, like uh, diagnosing disease um, is different for a white person on a, than on color of a different person's color of skin, just like on the epidermis, right? So like, you don't have textbooks that like speak to that alone. It still is a problem at a very, very basic systemic level. Um, but I'm all I can say is I completely understand. And I do know that there is some, um, I know in California, at least there is some attempt to increase vaccination in, in the communities, um, you know, to push for equity of vaccination in the communities that are hardest hit, which are predominantly black and brown communities based on health, health disparities. Um, it, what's interesting is when, if you scratch the surface a little bit, those communities still aren't able to um, administer as many vaccinations as they'd like, because I guess like something, you need to have a database set up at your community clinic. And it's like, they don't even have the people to do that in order to then vaccinate and collect the data. So there's like all these thing, barriers, even just to getting it out. Um, pivoting. What bothers me is been ten months. How come we haven't been prepping for this? Well, it's been it's been no a year. Two, it's been it's been two months since the government the, the since the federal government its impact on the flow of information was resistant to doing anything. Right. Right. True. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So I guess it's not really been a year in terms of like. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even, they didn't have an infrastructure or protocol um, to respond. Yeah. I mean, so like, I'll, I'll be the one who waves a political flag here for a minute. The big lie 
in 2020 to me was not election results and 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 uh, voter fraud. That was the big scam. The big lie was the nature of this disease, the danger of this disease, the future of this disease, and the handling of this disease. And that lie has a body count, a massive body count, not a few yeah. police in the federal government. You know. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This that had the biggest impact. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a viewer, a fellow named Scott, who you had a had a quick interaction with, civil interaction with in a comment section on our social networks. But he was on the fence about getting vaccinated. Right. Nice guy, decent guy. We have we share similar tastes in music. Um, he had the virus. Yeah. And I think that that's probably true for a lot of people watching this. Yeah. Explain getting vaccinated for somebody who's had the virus. Oh my God, I'm so glad you brought this up because I think I told him um, one shot. I think that was the early recommendations, but I actually uh -huh. just knew, knew or the CDC recommendations are for someone who's had COVID, definitely get vaccinated. You don't, so not just one shot. They, I think they want you to get the full vaccination. So two doses for Pfizer and Moderna and one for Johnson & Johnson. Okay. Um, but yeah, the reason is um, the, the protection from vaccination is much stronger mm -hmm. than the protection from infection. And here's why. We, that's we scary. Have, we have, or I guess that's the opposite of scary. No, that's great. Yeah, we okay. That. Yeah, we know we want that. Um, and you but, dumbass. No, no. <laughs> I don't no. mind. That's why you're here. Anyway, go no. on. Um, but I'm glad you brought it up. So, so we we have good data on on infection and how long someone is immune. You have protection up to 90 days, but we mm -hmm. don't really know past that point. Right. Um, for those that have been infected, for those who have the vaccine, it's you're protecting yourself from a severe disease at 100%. Um, and we think that transmissibility is less, but we don't know. Again, that's why we're wearing masks. But your protection from vaccination is much stronger because we don't, so if someone who's infected, you don't know how, if they, oh, and reinfection too. So mm -hmm. protection from reinfection. Um, Vaccines will protect you from that versus an infection. You could, although low, although very low, I know that was uh, controversial for a while, but the data are showing that reinfection is actually very low, but it is still a risk. And if you were had COVID, you could still get reinfected. Well, is there any additional downside in full ride vaccination for anybody who's previously infected? No. No. Okay. No, um, you, just, you just need to follow the guidelines, which is like, I think you wait 90 days until you're allowed. I mean, you have to look at the guidance, but it's like, you have to wait a certain time until you, you're symptom free. Um, well, the the, time the timeline that I'm on myself, just to put it in the first person and not to push it off on, on this friend I just messaged or mentioned, I've never been diagnosed with it. I've never been tested with COVID, right? Yeah. And my suspicion has always been that, I, that I'm an ass for not getting antibody testing. I had the worst respiratory illness of my entire life last February. And we, we know that it was here earlier than we expected and earlier than someone, a lay person like me would know what it was. Right. You know, it was in my rearview mirror by March, but what troubles me was that I had this new sensation as if somebody had rubbed icy hot on the inside of my lungs recurring over the next several months. Right. Um, for that reason, you know, I, I, as my education in this grows, I, I feel more and more certain that I, I've probably carried it at one point or another. So I, I'm here pleased to hear that there is no 
added danger in getting like no. for me going for two Pfizer. But what I did want to ask you is I'm reading all these horror stories on the social networks because I'm still one of these fools who lives alone and spends too much time on his cell phone, but about adverse physical reactions, particularly to second doses. What causes that? What is it? What, what's going on when that happens? It's just, I, I think just you're getting, so, so good, good question. When you have a physical reaction, like a fever, or cold, uh, you're down for the count for 36 hours because you're like sweating all night and blah, mm -hmm. blah. This is a good thing. Okay. This is a good thing. We want our bodies to respond that way because it's telling us that we're building the, immun the immunity to this specific disease. The whole reason this disease uh, is scary and has spread is because we humans have never seen it before. So our body had no ability to fight it. So when we vaccinate ourselves, we are essentially putting in not live virus, but a copy like a blueprint and saying to our immune cells and antibodies, please create something. That's what your body does. A fever is your body fighting an infection. So we're saying create the cells to fight this. And when you get a fever or cold, that's your that's your body working to fight this new um, you know host or whatever this mm -hmm. new this new scary virus. Um, so, so yeah, people are so people are at the second dose. It seems like people are getting sick, whereas they weren't before. Right. Um, and it just may be that it's like the you know they say it's like the you know you're at it like at your first shot you're like okay you're protected you're probably not going to die if you get it because again we don't know how it interacts in everybody it seems we have all these outliers and you don't really know how your body's going to take it if you get it mm -hmm. um but with the second dose it's like bam you're good <laughs> yeah i had no rea i had no reaction whatsoever to the first dose i didn't even so much swell at the injection site oh, awesome. i'm sort of i'm sort of planning on having my ass kicked on the 23rd though yeah, I would. Yeah, and and what they're saying is, you know, take the day off. Um, I'm taking the next day off. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take that day off. Yeah, prep to be in bed probably. But but you're gonna feel crappy for you know 24, 36 hours. But isn't that better than being afraid you might die? Oh yeah. Or having long-term COVID effects. It's like, you know. I'm gonna ask you a finger paints question, and then then I wanted to get into some hypotheticals or some logic questions with okay. you about disease and about the future. My finger paints question is this. We're doing a lot of technic technicalities here and a lot of what ifs and a lot of, you know, oh, make you sick the day after. Oh, the information keeps changing. You can say definitively the vaccines improve your chances of survival. Yes. May, yeah, on a dramatic level. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I know this. I think sometimes it's good you... to spell in giant capital letters. What? I said I know this. I just think sometimes it's good to spell in giant capital letters. Right. The whole purpose of the vaccines are to keep the hospitals free and clear. I.e., you don't get severe disease and you don't die. And it seems like hospitalization and even death is way down, at least in Southern California. I don't yeah. know about the rest of the country. Yeah, but you know, spring break is coming up again. We don't have a large proportion of the population vaccinated. And we have variants and variants continue. I mean, it's the disease, it's the disease purpose to mutate. So this is very common. And actually, you know, COVID isn't mutating at a fastest pace as others. So you and I did a did a panel that we ended up uh not airing. I know, but I'm which sorry. we well no, but no, but no, 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 but which I 
think everybody involved really enjoyed and uh it was it was a chance to listen to some very cool people speak but you said yeah. something that scared the hell out of me and scared the hell out of Vic Bondi when we were all in this panel oh really you referred, well you referred to this as not well he said as much during that oh. panel what you said this is not a deadly pandemic yeah. at least yeah. well awful Maybe lot of dead people to say that but I know you meant that a specific way yes. could you please expand now yes so and I kind of, I said it in our first one too. So, okay. you know, this is preparation for the actual, a bigger, I don't want to take away from the 500,000 plus people that have died in this country alone. It is mm -hmm. unacceptable and it is inexcusable. It didn't need to happen. That okay. said, we were, we were, we, we were decidedly unprepared. We could have been prepared. We decided not to be. Okay. Um, what I want to say is this is not this is not a disease that once you get it, you are um, it's not just old or underlying condition people in the hospital. It's a deadly virus um, with a much higher case fatality rate um, and and much quicker and much you're talking uh, about you're talking about potential in the future. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, not I, now. I, yeah. yeah okay. No. This this is actually this is like the the pre-run the pilot to a pandemic that could essentially wipe out the human race. Like, what what leads to those can, can you know what leads to those conditions? What is it that we're, that we're doing, or is it something that we're doing? The bigger and nastier bugs of death, you know, are on the horizon. Like, what conditions? Are, what, what, what evolutionary conditions are making this? They're not uh, on the horizon, Dan. No. It's like it's just the fact that people we have not had a pandemic in our lifetimes okay. currently have to go through this process. So it's fresh for everybody. Well, there's historical but, precedent. But people in the okay. field have always prepped for this and know okay. that you know those diseases are out there. As long as we have animals living in close proximity with us, or lakes and streams, and you know. The goal of disease is to evolve and stay alive. Okay. Our goal is to stay one step ahead of it. All right. So uh, we've been fortunate uh, up until prior to this pandemic that nothing has happened. I'm on a phone. I have a guest. I will get you the Anderson Star Pack. That's my son. Okay, can you close my door? He added a perfect human element. Thank him afterwards. All right. He's obsessed with this uh, soccer. I mean, it's a goalkeeper. He's upset. I mean, it's my favorite goalkeeper too. But anyways, um, so, so yeah. I mean, so this, you, it's because it's new to people. But there's experts. There's people are they spend their whole life's work doing this. I mean, I've always been the one that was like, I'm scared of bats because we seem to get all the bat diseases. But you know, there could be. I'm not scared of bats. I shouldn't say that. No, bats are super fascinating. We just seems to, there's, their diseases seem to just jump to us. Um, mm -hmm. But again, I'm just saying disease is out there and its whole job is to evolve and expand. And we're perfect hopes, hosts should they get there. Our job is when that happens is to do better next time because we have completely botched this opportunity. It almost seems like no degree of terrible outcome during this pandemic would have created the necessary awareness to pre prevent. I envision a deadlier, faster disease showing up and at least being met initially in this country with the same cynicism from the same people, which is a terrifying notion. 
Yeah, I, you know, I don't agree. Okay. I, because this, this, I know this is so shocking, but because this disease didn't wipe out mass amounts of people very, very quickly, mm -hmm. it did when we were not protecting ourselves through public health measures. Um, but even then it was like slow to grow and it, you know, cause it, you could not get it for a certain number of days. And it, and, and some people just got a cold as particularly younger people imagine a disease where it doesn't matter what age you are and it hits deadly in, in children and infants. How do we control that spread? Like there's just a lot of factors and um, I don't agree. I think that something more deadly like how Ebola is, um, would have the severity and the fear factor. I yes. think that I think that this got away because it didn't bug it didn't get in my backyard. It didn't hit my family. I'm fine. They didn't see it firsthand. So forgive my ignorance, but you create a perfect opening for me to expose it. So Ebola, Ebola was a nastier, was a nastier beast, yeah. Well, Ebola, Ebola, you know, you're dead within 24 hours. But okay. the crazy thing about that is, and, and you can, st it's still transmissible in, um, in the court. It's highly transmissible and it's transmissible with the corpse. So like you have to be super careful. Um, but the thing is, you, why it, it doesn't get out of control is because that's where you're, I was going. you're dead within 24 hours. So, so it's like, hard for people not to take that seriously. And it's harder for it to spread. Oh, wow. Think about it. Because yeah. if I'm asymptomatic up to 14 days, I've now spread it to 3 billion people. Well, you can't you can't fuck me up in the supermarket because you're dead before you ever get there. Exactly. <laughs> See, that, that's that's beautiful. That's name in terms. All right. Um <laughs> there is a danger in leaving things on the on, on the field, which when I would do this interviewing interviewing people for fanzines, I didn't mind saying, is there anything else? On film, it always feels a little bit clumsy. Yeah. But is there any crucial ingredient here that I haven't get, that I haven't touched on that uh, you want to make sure you get out? Right. Um, no, you actually all the things I was thinking about. We actually talked about. I think the key message uh, from me mm -hmm. is that. People think that, you know, 90 plus million vaccinated in the States. Wow, we're, we're, at, we're, we're at the end. Things are opening up. My kids mm -hmm. can play soccer. You know, my kids are going back to school. Right. We're, we're at the beginning of the end. We have to continue to be safe and continue to protect ourselves via the tools in our toolkit. Masks, distancing, if you're not vaccinated, masks indoors with those who are vaccinated or not vaccinated. And those that are vaccinated can only not mask with those vaccinated. Yep, I was able to follow that. Um, so I want to express something to you. Uh, this went up and down. There were professional concerns and different things that were expressed when you and I dealt with different situations here. And you remained open to uh, the notion of talking to us on here and to uh, doing these episodes. And we got another one in the can without these particular episodes where we're talking to you about this very specific, very important thing. The character of my little microscopic show is different. So I have immense gratitude to you for that. Okay. 
Oh, love you. And I really appreciate you allowing me to, um, I, I've really enjoyed talking with you. I think if we can just help, I think it's, it's so, I, I think it's super important and I'm glad that I can help our music community. If that's mm -hmm. all that looks at this, I just, you know, I think it's important because there's so much misinformation and like so much information out there. It's overwhelming. Um, well, so, I think yeah. a key element here has been, has been, for lack of a better word, that tribalism and that it, it is exciting for people to hear this information from someone of like experience, you know? Yeah, for sure. We all speak literally the same language anyway. So, yeah. All right. Well, listen, Alexia, I am going to wrap it up smiling and thrilled with what we came up with. Okay, uh, awesome. Thank you, as always. Episode 33, Alexia Exarchos. Thank you, Dan. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.